What role or roles did women play in the early church? And with that question in mind, what roles should or can they fill in today's church? We're going to talk about these things and a lot more today on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today's Wednesday, May the 30th of 2012, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. God bless you. Glad to have you here, as always, as we kick off uh, our last um, our last chapter in our study on the book of Romans, which is kind of crazy to think that, you know, we've already, uh, already, you know, it's been five and a half years, but we're already at the, the final chapter of this study, and I think it's going to, there's just some good insight that's left in the book of Romans. Um, you know, I, I think there's still a little bit of wisdom to be gleaned from Paul's writings here. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to cover verses 1 and 2 today. And, um, you know, uh, I'm excited to get through this uh, this study, just as excited as anybody else. And the other day I posted on Facebook, if you follow me on Facebook, uh, that I think we're going to probably be concluding this study on Romans uh, maybe the second week of July. It just kind of depends on a couple things, but uh, we'll be done by the end of July. We just don't have that much left to go. There's not a whole lot uh, left for us to cover, and as we're going to see today, um, really, we've got the teaching part of the book behind us. And so, um, yeah, uh, middle of July, that'll make it uh, just short of, uh, of five and a half years, five years and six months. So uh, to God be the glory for that. So anyway, yeah, just to share with you guys some stuff that's going on in my life. Recently, I have become a worship leader <laughs> in addition to being a pastor. You know, I've been playing bass guitar for about 24 years, 25 years almost. Uh, I, when I got my first job when I was 16, one of the first things I went out and did was buy a, a bass guitar. And so I've been playing for a long time, and there have been times in my life when I've tried to sing along, you know, while I'm playing bass, uh, but it's it's really difficult for me. I, I tend to be kind of what you would call a, a busy fingered bassist. Uh, a lot of a lot of scales, a lot of transitions, stuff, and you know. So so singing while I'm playing has has never quite worked out. But somehow, uh, you know, by God's grace and with a lot of practice every week, uh, I'm leading worship here at my church. We've introduced uh, what we would call uh, an unplugged contemporary acoustic set. Um, so I got an acoustic bass, and uh, yeah, we're starting off our services with some acoustic worship. Uh, we recently played Matt Redman's 10,000 Reasons. If you haven't heard that song, wow, that sounds powerful in church when you've got a bunch of people singing it together. That's a, that's a great, great song. Um, yeah, 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman. If you haven't heard that one, I would just encourage you to, to check it out. Just for you to be blessed by it. It's a, an amazing song. Anyway, uh, this is going to be kind of a shorter lesson today. Uh, not a lot to cover, but uh, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've gotten us this far in our study. Lord, I pray that we would still be able to glean wisdom, insight, and godliness 
from these concluding verses in the book of Romans. We thank you so much that this book has made it through the ages, that it is uh, your word inerrant, and that it's still relevant to our lives today. God, I just pray that you'll bless this time and use it to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we come to the 16th chapter in our study of Romans, uh, like I said, you know, the teaching sections of the book uh, are behind us. The teachings and the lengthy discourses, they're all done with. What remains, really, is a concise section in which uh, Paul greets various members of the church in Rome. However, when we read, you know, between the lines, so to speak, we do find some really interesting implications and applications. Even though Paul's going to, you know, spend the next six 16 verses sending greetings, one of the things that we can't miss is that this is a glimpse of the unity, the closeness, the intimacy, the Christ-like love that the early church felt toward one another. You know, one conversation that I've had with a lot of pastors, so many pastors and church leaders, is based on their desire to see the church recover this type of intimacy, the, the intimacy that the first century church shared. You know, if only we could be like the first century church, the early church. And, you know, I'd agree that there are several characteristics of the early church that have been lost in modern churches. But before we talk about what those characteristics and qualities are, I have to say that I have absolutely no desire uh, to experience a walk with the Lord that was exactly like those uh, in the early church and what they experienced. The early church was actually in complete chaos. Chaos. I mean, serious uh, disorder at times, confusion. It was chaotic. That can be attributed in part to the fact that they hadn't canonized the New Testament scriptures yet. In fact, they hadn't even been written yet. And today, you know, we have the complete New Testament all in one place, in, in one nice little place, in one book. That's a luxury that I think we maybe take for granted a little bit, and it's a luxury that the early church didn't have. Uh, That would indeed make things confusing, though, wouldn't it, if you didn't have the Bible to compare uh, somebody's teaching to? You know, in addition to not having the completed scriptures, there were frauds, imposters, and counterfeits that infiltrated the early church. I mean, yeah, the, the early church had people doing you know, signs and and wonders, but there were just as many people, if not more, who were doing false signs and wonders. Yeah, you know, they had the teachings of the apostles, but they also had Judaizers who were opposing the teachings of the apostles, and they had false apostles too, people who claimed to have apostolic authority, but who had no such authority. I mean, these types of things are part of the reason that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul had to warn them to break themselves off from these imposters, from these false apostles. They couldn't compare the truth of God as it's revealed in the New Testament against what these false apostles were teaching, and thus it was very easy for people like that, these these imposters, to slip in and start spreading lies. The fact that the early church was experiencing enemy infiltration like this helps us to understand why Paul instructed that if someone's going to be an elder, they must be capable to, quote, both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's from Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Similarly, Paul instructed Timothy by saying, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. 
That's from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And what this results in, this results in church leaders who are deeply grounded in the doctrinal truths of Christianity. And that, um, unfortunately, is a standard that has slipped away to a large extent in our culture today. There are thousands and thousands of pastors and church leaders who couldn't defend Christianity if they found themselves in a position in which that's what they had to do. The fact that there are countries around the world where the pastors haven't received any type of proper or formal training and doctrine led to one church uh, buying dozens of iPods, filling them with several hundred lessons that we have available here on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and sending those iPods over to these impoverished countries in the hands of short-term missionaries. I mean, we've had over six and a half million lessons, almost seven million lessons downloaded from our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org. But it's things like this, these iPods going overseas to these, uh, to these other pastors who need instruction. It's things like this. Um, you know, knowing that these pastors are being trained in doctrine that touches my heart in a place that honestly just makes my eyes well up with tears of joy and humility. Uh, you know, there are still places around the world where imposters are infiltrating the church all too easily today. And my fear is that if America isn't careful, if Western culture, let me broaden the spectrum a little bit, if Western culture isn't careful, uh, you know, the same thing could very easily start happening here within the next generation, as doctrine is very quickly being replaced. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of labeled as cold and old-fashioned, and it's being replaced by relevance. And being relevant becomes the standard that is embraced. And you know, if it has to be one or the other, it's honestly better to have someone who's grounded in solid doctrine. But the truth is that if a person is a gifted teacher, they don't need to try to be relevant because nothing is more relevant to our lives than the Bible. The question is whether a person can teach it in a way that shows his audience how relevant the Bible is to them. So if we're going to get back to the roots of the early church, the the first century church, This is where it has to start, by insisting that church leaders be thoroughly grounded in good doctrine and correct beliefs. Most people who want to see the church return to the ways of the early church don't understand that this is where a movement like that has to start. But there's no other way for it to happen properly. Usually, what someone who wants to see the church today become like the early church has in mind is something like we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, where we learn that the early church was meeting in homes and, you know, they're experiencing these deep interpersonal relationships with one another and they eat together, they pray together, they learn together. And those things are all fantastic. And I agree, we need to do those things. We desperately need those things. You know, this is how disciples were made. And the church of today, at least in Western culture, has to some extent forgotten how to make disciples. You know, part of the reason for that might be that our lives have become so busy. But I think that part of it is also, part of it is that we're missing out on relationships with one another. And maybe that has to do with the megachurch phenomenon where you can go to church and really be invisible. You can escape the notice of anyone and everyone. But it's also partly due to the fact that we're in the electronic age of communication. I mean, Why go to church when you can watch it online? Uh, Why go to church when you can listen to BibleStudyPodcast.org or, you know, some other podcast? 
And sadly, you know, there are a lot of people who take that approach. But friends, we need fellowship. That's the primary purpose of going to church. We need fellowship. And so my word of advice is that the podcasts that I do or, or anyone else does uh, be used as a supplement to your walk with the Lord, but that you wouldn't use my podcasts or, or anyone else's as a substitute for going to church because we need those relationships. We are designed for them, and they're a key part of the discipleship process. Now, back to our text here in Romans. We're about to catch a glimpse of the many interpersonal relationships that Paul had as we run through the 16th chapter of this study. So let's see how Paul starts this list of greetings and salutations, starting with Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Now let me ask you, are you shocked that the first person that Paul mentions here is a woman? You know, I I think it's important that we make note of that, that the first person he mentions here is a woman. Paul says that he commends this woman to them. In other words, he recommends her. It's like a letter of recommendation. And he tells them that she serves the church in Centuria. This letter was written to the church in Rome while Paul was living in Corinth, and Centuria was on the outskirts of that city, the city of Corinth. And this woman named Phoebe is a large part of the reason that we even have the book of Romans today. There is near unanimous consensus among scholars that this ever-so-important book made its way into the hands of the Roman church by way of Phoebe's hand. And when you think of how many people have been impacted and converted by the book of Romans, you get a sense of just how important her uh, her job was uh, for the history of Christianity. I mean, without this letter... Augustine doesn't convert. If Augustine doesn't convert, how many hundreds of thousands, maybe even up to tens of millions of others don't also convert and receive salvation? You know, the book of Romans was in large part also the basis of the Reformation movement. The book of Romans has historically impacted the church to a much much larger extent than many people realize. And it came to the church in Rome in the hands of Phoebe. Now, we don't know exactly what business Phoebe had to tend to in Rome. Uh, All we can do is kind of guess. But because Paul knew that she was headed in that direction, he composed this letter to them in time for her departure. This woman's correct navigation, her safety in travel, and her faithful delivery are all primary reasons that we even have this book today. Is that cool or what? Now, the Greek word that Paul gives us for her title is deacon. Uh, The female rendition for this word, of course, is deaconess, although Paul uses the masculine form here. And I think it's, you know, it's really easy for us to miss how significant women were to the establishment of the early church. But the church today owes just as much to the faithful service of women as it does to the faithful service of men. We are designed to work together. Of course, there are two specific limitations on women that the Bible does lay out. Number one, 
that they not instruct men, and number two, that they not have authority over men. There are functions within the church that God designed men for, and there are functions within the church that God designed women for. When they are willing to work in a way that demonstrates godly submission uh, to one another for the sake of the Lord, there's harmony between them that nurtures the needs of God's people the way that God intended. I might also add that neither the man nor the woman should view submission strictly as submission to one another, but primarily as submission to the Lord and to the teachings that the Holy Spirit inspired in accordance with God's perfect and inerrant design. Uh, In addition to the 12 disciples, many of the people who faithfully followed Jesus as he traveled from place to place teaching were women. Luke tells us in his book, quote, The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. That's from Luke chapter 8, the last part of verse 1 through verse 3. So did you catch what that said, though? Women are the only people whom Luke specifically singles out here as contributing financially to the support of Jesus' ministry. How huge is that? That is enormous. And their faithfulness to the Lord is also seen in the fact that there was only one disciple at the scene of the crucifixion, but there were at least a few of his female followers who were there. And who were the first people to go visit Jesus' tomb? Women. To whom did Jesus first appear after he had risen? A woman. It's in light of these truths that when a person tells me that the Bible is sexist or, you know, just written by men for men, you know, I immediately realize that they have either never read the Bible or they've never studied the Bible or or both. You know, Jesus' acceptance and endorsement of women, in addition to his teachings which pertain to women, were culturally revolutionary. Jesus consistently taught, both implicitly and explicitly, that men and women were equal. As my former teacher, Norman Geisler, summarizes in the fourth volume of his Systematic Theology books, he says, quote, Women are not inferior in nature, redemptive status, or spiritual gifting. They differ only in function. End quote. That's from page 110. The office of elder must be held by a man, but a woman is eligible and perhaps um, naturally better suited than most men for serving people sometimes, you know, depending on who's going to be served. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But the elders serve as teachers and overseers who are responsible to God, and the deacons and deaconesses, apparently, were given responsibility for social and physical ministries. Now, we should point out that the Greek word for deacon simply means servant. So we can't really be sure if Phoebe was a servant of the church or if she just held the specific office with the early church. Should a woman fill the the office of deacon in a church? Well, first of all, let me just say this. You know, it's not a matter which is essential to the Christian faith, whether or not a woman can be a deacon. Uh, There are people who are equally committed to the Lord on both sides of this issue. They're both trying to be faithful to him. I'd say that this is an issue that each church individually should determine for themselves in accordance with prayer and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. For me, the answer depends on a lot of different circumstances, such as who's in need of being served. You know, if it's primarily young women, for example, a woman is very likely the best person for the job. Uh, But, you know, the church owes a tremendous amount of respect and gratitude to the faithful service of women in the early church. In fact, as Paul closes out this letter, 
He's going to send greetings to nine women. That's why Paul commends this woman. And, she, and he tells the church in Rome to receive her and welcome her just as they would any other saint. He tells them to help her out in any matters that she might need help with. And this type of spirit, this type of unity, this type of mindset that they have, that is something the church today would do well to embrace once again. You know, we recently had some people come and visit our church here in uh, in Linwood, Washington for a few weeks, and they had faithfully attended another local church for many years, but our church was closer to them, it was walking distance for them, and their car broke down, so they were coming here for a while, and I don't know if there were issues at this other church that they had been going to or what, but after I preached a sermon on serving the church and honoring other members of the church rather than expecting to be honored uh, or expecting to be catered to, this couple announced at the end of church uh, that something I had said in the sermon had convicted them deeply and that they needed to go back to their previous church. And my response was to give them my blessing. And I told them that regardless of which church they go to, you know, they are nevertheless our brother and sister in the Lord. Uh, you know, we're all going to the same place. We're all one in uh, in Christ Jesus. And as such, they're friends who are always welcome to join us. But, you know, they are, uh, there are absolutely no hard feelings about them leaving us either if they felt like the Holy Spirit needed them to go back. You know, there's a lot of pressure on uh, pastors to grow a church in a numerical sense. We in Western culture love to quantify success with numbers and with population, but, you know, it's a lot more important that we simply engage people in the discipleship process and that they grow in that sense. Spiritual growth is really what it's all about. That's one quality that today's church could absolutely learn from the early church. The church doesn't need numerical growth nearly as bad, nearly as desperately as we need spiritual growth through real discipleship. And we would be foolish to overlook the importance that women have historically played in that process and continue to play today by God's intentional gifting and design. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we trust in you. We belong to you. And Lord, we know that you designed us all a very specific way. And we thank you that uh, those things are revealed in your word, that our uh, our giftings, our limitations, uh, the authority that we might have, that's, that's something that none of us can just make up and pull out of thin air, Lord, because you gave it to us in your word. And so, Lord, we want to submit ourselves to your word, submit ourselves to you. We thank you that you have inspired our Bible perfectly so that we know that this is your word. And so, Lord, we thank you for all the women who have contributed uh, to the church, to establishing the church. Lord, we we realize that uh, without the faithful hand of Phoebe, uh, maybe we wouldn't even have this study here today. So we thank you, Lord, for her faithfulness and for the faithfulness of all the women who faithfully serve you week in and week out at churches around the world. Lord, my prayer today is that each one of us would get a conviction for how you would have us serve others. And that, Lord, we would, we would see doors open to serve people as you would lead us to do so. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that it will continue to transform our lives and make us more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen.
This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.